Welcome to Pragmatic Live, the podcast for product people. I'm Mark Stiving, a pragmatic marketing instructor and sometimes host of this podcast. Today we're joined by, well, you. It, it turns out what I'm going to do today is answer some questions that have been sent in and see what we can learn as we go through the day. Most of my questions today come from a gentleman named Mark Gandhi. Uh, Mark happens to be a CFO for small co uh, startup companies. He's more of a contract CFO or consultant, uh, but he sends me some pretty interesting questions. And the first one, pricing is as much art as science, and that makes it hard for the small business owner to master pricing. Still, pricing is vital to the long-term profitability of their company. What's the best way for them to grow in mastering pricing? So it's actually a really fascinating question because what we're trying to say is we have these smaller startup companies, CEOs, and yet they don't seem to understand or care that much about price. If you think about a CEO for a second, especially in a startup company, I was one for a while. And what ends up happening is as a CEO, we spend a whole bunch of time thinking about profit and growth of the company. And where does that growth come from and the profit come from? Well, profit is revenue minus costs. We know that executives spend a whole bunch of time trying to reduce costs, maybe not early on in growth modes, but we still have to control them and watch them. And then we jump to the revenue. Revenue is a huge deal. How do we grow revenue? Because that's growing the company. Well, revenue is quantity times price. And we spend a ton of time focusing on that quantity piece. Do we have the right marketing? Are we finding the right clients? Do we have the right products so we can go win new business? How's our sales channel doing? Are we ramping the sales channel? Are we training the sales channel? There's tons of stuff that we do around trying to get quantity up. And what we rarely do is spend a whole bunch of time on that other variable, price. And price can be crucial to this decision. Now, a CEO can't be a pricing expert. Well, I guess they could be, but they're probably not going to be a pricing expert. What we do need, though, is some emphasis or some importance on price. If you think about it, your CEO is not an expert in marketing. They're not an expert in new product development. They're not an expert in sales. And yet all of these are really important to the CEO and they're making sure there are people and processes inside their companies to, to maximize these things, to get better and better at these things. Why don't we have the exact same thing for price? We really need to. And so when you start thinking about what does a CEO have to do in order to be better at pricing or to make the company more effective in thinking about pricing, first and foremost, the CEO has to understand Price is not about cost. Pricing is not cost plus pricing. That's one of the hardest things for people to learn because our entire lives, we've, we've been brought up thinking that's the way companies price things. And in fact, a lot of companies do still price things that way. It works, kind of, but it doesn't bring the most profitability. It doesn't bring the most growth. It doesn't bring the most opportunity to your marketplace. Cost plus pricing has got to get thrown away. And the CEO is the first person who says that's not what's going to happen inside our company. Once we've said, yep, we get it, cost plus pricing is wrong, we have to replace that with something. We replace that with what's called value-based pricing. Value-based pricing is all about how much is a customer willing to pay. 
it is almost impossible to figure out precisely how much somebody is willing to pay you for your product. We still have ways to estimate it, we measure it, we make guesses. But what we're doing is we're trying to figure out what the value is to customers, not just what did it cost us and how much margin do we want to make. Once we've said, yep, that's it, that's what we're going to do, then what an owner needs to do is start asking people in the company about price. When we're building new products, are we building features and capabilities that people would be willing to pay us for? Have we measured that before we go spend our resources? As we start working with our sales organizations, are we training our sales organizations to be able to hold price? Are we giving them the knowledge and the tools so that they can keep that price that we really want to have? In the end, pricing is always about what does our buyer think? If we believe in value-based pricing and value-based pricing means what's our customer willing to pay, then it's about the customer. It's about what goes on inside the customer's mind. Anytime I approach a pricing decision, somebody asks me about a pricing question, the only way to answer that is to go out and put yourself in the shoes of that customer, of that decision maker, and say, how are they making the decision? What are the things that are important? How are they going to choose to spend their money? As executives start thinking this way, instead of cost plus, it has the ability to drive a bunch more revenue into the company. And with price segmentation, we get different amounts of revenue with different customers. So that was, that was the first question. Nice question, Mark. Really appreciated it. Second question, he writes, that leads, leads to a related question. You've already written a blog post on pricing consultants. Assume you run an 18-store specialty candy store chain. What would be your vetting process in hiring the right pricing consultant for your business? Let me start with saying ouch to that question. So if you were to go back in 2013, I was still a director of pricing at a big company. We had just hired McKinsey as a pricing consultant. And I was pretty disappointed now, when you think about McKinsey, they're really smart, fabulous people. And let's say they made 10 recommendations. And I would say eight of those 10 recommendations were fabulous, just amazing. They're going to put a ton of money in the pocket. And yet there were a couple other recommendations they made that I certainly believed were going to do well for us in the short term and were going to cost us long-term business because of the relationships and the way people think about pricing and so I wrote a blog to caution people about this because I, I think that consultants have this incentive to come in and maximize the short term and they don't have the need or the desire to say, oh, I have to watch out for the long term at the same time. So I didn't say overly nice things about consultants, although I got to say, I, I know tons of pricing consultants and they're lovely, smart people, um, absolutely brilliant. And Mark took what I wrote to heart and said, okay, got it. Now, what do I do? If I can't go hire a pricing consultant, what should I do? So first, I, would, I wouldn't say you can't go hire a pricing consultant. I'd say be careful, be wary. But the other recommendation that I gave Mark when he asked the question was, what if we hired another consultant? So we hire one consultant to come in and do the job. 
and say, this is the consultant that we've, we've decided is going to help us make decisions, figure out our new strategies, our new tactics, our new tools. They're going to put all of these things in place. And instead of letting that consultant be the one to come back and say, see how awesome it was, hire a different consultant to come in and actually do the monitoring. The second consultant can come in and say, what really happened? Did we get the results we thought we were going to get? What worked? What didn't work? How do we measure it as unbiased as we can? And eventually we might be getting to what we think are the absolute best answers. But it's not it's not a trivial problem by any means. How about question number three? And now this is this is Mark saying this. And now my frustrations. I've been working with general contractors for years. You already know they live and breathe in the cost plus pricing world. How does that change? Or can it? Let's say you're bidding on the construction of a new warehouse in Kansas City, Missouri. Six contractors are bidding. While I believe in pricing for value, my mind is still stuck on cost plus pricing in this industry. Thoughts? Suggestions? This is one of the hardest things, one of many really hard things, but one of the hardest things to deal with in pricing. A potential buyer hands you a document, a request for proposal, a request for quote, and says, here's a multi-million dollar opportunity, I want you to bid on this. They're not buying a standard product from you. They're buying your best efforts to build what they put in this document. There's so many things that are going on at the same time, but the first thing I would ask is, is do you think the buyer really knows what they want? I would argue they don't. And the reason I would argue that is how often do you win one of these RFP type deals and yet a month in, three months in, we're starting to get change orders already because we didn't think of this or we really wanted that or buyers don't really know what they want. They don't know what's possible. They can't design the full solution from where they sit because they're not experts in the things that we're experts in. How could we possibly expect them to document this and be absolutely right? Which, which leads to a second really important point. Who wrote the document? It is very possible, maybe likely, maybe certain that they relied on one vendor to help them write that document. Whoever that one vendor is, they're the vendor who's likely to win the deal. If you were not the one that was writing the document, odds are really good you're not going to win that deal anyway. So you can spend your 40 hours developing a proposal because you certainly don't want to miss out on a million dollar opportunity. And yet what you might be doing is just wasting 40 hours of effort trying to win a deal that somebody else has already won. So first lesson is we need to be in early in those deals. We need to be the ones helping form and mold. What do those RFPs look like? How do they write them so that, or how do we frame their mindset so that when they go write their RFP, they're thinking of the things that we know matter in their solution. But here's the best of all the answers that I'm going to give you on this one problem. This is the one I like the best. We already know that the buyer doesn't really know what they want. 
They always ask for change orders. And so my recommendation to you is to create three different proposals. The first proposal, really, really low price proposal. What you're going to do is leave a few things out that they ask for in the RFP. Be as aggressive on your margins as you can be and show that you've got the lowest price on the deal. But guess what? That deal is never going to win because they had a set of specifications. They wanted something better. But if they're, all they were looking for was low price, they now have yours and they're going to be holding your low price. But here's one thing you know is RFPs almost never go to the low price bidder. And so it doesn't really help you. You're not really going to win on that low price other than it demonstrates to that bidder or to the buyer that, yes, we really can meet these super low prices if you're willing to give a little bit. The second proposal you're going to give has what they asked for plus the things that you really believe they need. The things that you think are the absolute right solution for the problem, for the situation that they're dealing with. And you can charge a slightly higher price for this one. You should be getting a decent little margin on this. This is the one that they're likely going to buy from you. This is the one that you really want to sell to them. The last one, the last proposal you're going to bid is something that's outlandish. Something that shows your capabilities that, that if they wanted to do something super fantastic and stand out in the world, they would go with you and your third choice. And by the way, this one is really expensive. Having this really expensive one there does a few things. First, it shows that you are quality. It shows that you have the capability of having really high-end solutions and the, and the people pay you ridiculous amounts of money to do really hard, good work for them. So have that third one. That's huge. And the other thing it does is it makes your second proposal look much less expensive. Most people tend to buy the one in the middle. You'll probably be the only bidder that is bidding three proposals for the one opportunity. And we already know which one that most of your buyers are going to take. So that would be my big one. And, and yet, even as you look through all three of those proposals, you could make an argument that Mark Andy is right. Everything I just told you was still really based around costs. We're still going to go out and estimate how much time and money is it going to take us to do this. And then we're going to put a margin on top of that. And that's the price we're going to bid. And, and I wish I could say, let's get away from that. But if we're going to do custom work like that, and we know there are going to be multiple bidders, then it turns out what we're doing, even though we're doing cost plus, we're also doing value-based pricing at the exact same time. And here's why I say that. Think about your competitors. Your competitors are reading that RFP. They're putting together a specification. They're going to figure out what their costs are, the time, the resources, the, the products that they have to put in. They put it all together. There's their cost. They add a margin to it, whatever margin they think they need to get, and that's their price. So value-based pricing says the price that you should charge is your competitor's price plus or minus, but we'll assume plus, 
plus the value of the things you do better than your competition. So in truth, we're doing this cost plus estimation. And what it's really doing is it's estimating what our competitors are charging, not just us doing cost plus pricing. So this is a ballpark way of us to make an estimate of how do we, how do, we do value-based pricing when, when we're in these big RFPs and proposals. Looks like we're out of time for today. We got through three questions. That wasn't bad. Um, but to our listeners, I hope you guys had, had a good time with that. Feel free to send in more questions. I am happy to talk about them, uh, happy to answer them on here. And we have tons of experts. We have lots of people that would love to answer your questions. So send your questions in to experts at pragmaticmarketing.com. And also don't forget to join us for our next episode of Pragmatic Live. <music>